This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 4-0. Yes, F-O-U-R, as the video printer would say. Usually save that for sixes and sevens, but with Stoke, that four is like having six or seven. Uh, Michael, welcome to the pod. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you. All uh, all good. It's been a positive week, mate. Stoke have won and work's been good, so uh, not much to complain about for once. I, I was listening back to our podcast, mate, last week, and um, I'll be honest, I, I didn't realise just how negative I was. I think I was probably <laughs> had some justification, but my God, I was so negative. So uh, hopefully we didn't depress people too much. We needed that win, didn't we, last week? Oh, God, yeah. Well, in, in better spirits, hopefully, this week, mate. Oh, yeah, 100%. We're going to win the league. Yep. <laughs> we'll steady on there. We'll, get, we'll take the cup first. <laughs> um, and also, we, you aren't the only voice joining us tonight. We do have a third voice, a voice who's been on this podcast before. Simon Lowe, how are you? I'm very well. How are you guys? I'm good, thank you. Uh, were, you were you there last week for the Reading game? I was indeed, yes. I'm still recovering from the shock. Um, for what's <laughs> a good shock. It's quite rare. But uh, yeah, uh, it was a very good performance um, against a particularly awful team. I thought. Yeah, I was I was trying to work out this week. I'm like, because yeah, I've, I've I've had to dwell on this result all week. I haven't been able to move <laughs> on. It's like you have to make the most of these games. I'm like, were we really good, or were they really poor? Were they poor because we made them look poor, or were they just poor? I think that yeah, there's an element of we made them look poor. I I don't think we were really good. We we were good and we made the most of our chances for once. I mean, this season we've had countless games where we haven't made the most of our chances and then kind of they go in off mid-riffs, defenders' heads, you know, all, all over the shop they were flying in the net, um, not least off the back of Dwight Gale, which was uh, quite sweet and we all enjoyed that. Yes, I mean... Obviously, the how often do you hear somebody say that he just needs one going off his backside and he'll be up and running? <laughs> and it, it, it's usually just the same, but this this time it's sort of come true. I mean, you'll go down in Stoke folklore. We we know we love strikers who uh, get off the mark with a, a goal from the bum. Indeed, yeah. Well, I think um, it's the mark of the man that he claimed it as his own, like he meant it. Yeah, he, he, and I loved how like. All the players came and they were all like pointing at him, weren't they? And saying, you know, he's scored, he's off the mark. This it's his goal, his goal. <laughs> Even like Josh Lorraine, he wasn't trying to like yeah, sure. he, wasn't, 
Am I the only one that thought um, for a split second he was offside again? Yeah, <laughs> Could you imagine? There was a. I think the right back was um, was deeper, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean the poor lad. You could just see it coming. I think if he would have had another goal ruled offside, I reckon he would have just given up. <laughs> play right, play right back or something. I don't know. Yeah, I thought he had a good game actually all round. Gale did. You know, he's he he does put a shift in, and he's he's a quality player in many ways. He just has had this awful run in front of goal. I think you spot on, mate. I think before his injury and stuff, like he was, he was always contributing for me. Yeah, he wasn't scoring, but some of the passes. You know, with defence splitting passes at times, you know, he's, as you said, work ethic and work rate was, you can't can't really question it. Um, I think he was just, because he's a striker and because he hadn't been scoring, he was taking a lot of criticism. But I, I, I personally can't fault his effort since he's come. If he can find some way to score goals, and let's be honest, we don't exactly give our strikers three, four, five chances a game, do we? So, um It'd be interesting to see if, you know, obviously we're after some wingers, which we'll we'll get on to, but you know, if if we're if we're playing more of a, of a wing style play, then maybe that will feed into him a little bit better than we're doing right now. But yeah, mate, hundred percent. I think it's great to see Gail back in the team. He offers so much more than goals. He is a proven goal scorer over his career. Um, it's just that through injury, this last what's well, almost two ish years now, he ha- he hasn't really played consistently and definitely hasn't scored consistently but given a fair wind I still think he's got that in him I know he's coming towards the end of his career but at this level for our team he's he's definitely in the mix for contributing uh, positively for us for the rest of the season at least if not next season as well yeah I think it's it's a bit harsh on him isn't it to call out that was it 52 54 games something that he hadn't scored in because you think a lot of those would have been like late cameo sub appearances for a struggling Newcastle side who weren't yeah. creating much either were they um, so you do sort of feel a bit like statistically maybe you sort of like stretching the truth a bit aren't we with that when people were saying he was like 50 odd games without a goal um, but yeah it's, it's funny because when like we were about sort of Tezgal um, in the game the other week against Hartlepool, I said, "Oh, he linked up well with Gale. He, he looked a better player than he did twelve months ago. He he was quite clever, him and Gale." And then you look at Campbell and you think, "Oh, Campbell plays better when he plays with Gale, and probably with Brown as well. Brown plays better when he plays with Gale. Like the common denominator with all our strikers is Dwight Gale brings the best out of them." Yeah, I I, I would say that's true. I think he's a very intelligent, uh, highly professional player. He, he knows where his teammates are at all times. He finds them generally more often than not. Um, his problem has been putting away the chances that have come his way and there haven't been that many because we've just not been very good this season. No. Um, what I did like as well is obviously the high press that, that they did um, that we kind of mean Smallbone joined in into when he needed to as well. Um, I thought of Campbell and especially Gale as well. They really did pressure the, the Reading defence and they never allowed them any sort of platform to build on, did they? they never allowed them to to build out from the back and get any sort of grip on on the game. Yeah, that created the first goal, of course, or Gale nicked the ball. Um, and I thought that was markedly different to the two previous home games, the two 1-0 defeats, especially the Preston game, which thoroughly depressed me um, because we were dreadful and we just let them knock it around at the back. We let the centre-halves race forward with it at times um, 
this performance was worlds away from that, thank heavens. If you look at the stats as well, I was, I was looking at them earlier on, and um, it's it's interesting. Obviously, we've, we've won four 0 but I'm pretty sure that the stats set us down as something like thirty nine. Yeah, it was thirty nine percent possession. I've got it in front of me, thirty nine percent possession, and you still win four 0 Like it shows that we probably you know we're, we're making the most of the chances that we've got as well. I mean, we had sixteen shots to their seven, despite having far less possession. Um, they had what five hundred and fifty nine passes to our three hundred and forty three. You know, it's it, again. This is probably a scenario, like you said, where the high press is working, and we're finishing our chances as well. Because um, of the sixteen, seven were on target, which is, you know, again markedly different to the previous games. And you mentioned about people he brought in. Obviously, Gale got his goal, fair enough. But yeah, Jacob Brown got the best out of him. Tyrese Campbell, great. But yeah, even Will Smallbone scoring goals. I mean, the world, you know, the world's going crazy. So. I, I think it was a, it was just a really good game, and we need to do it more often. I mean, it's great, you know, beating the poor red inside. Let's be honest. Um, you know, it's 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 great beating them, but we need to keep following it up. Now we can't just go backwards and then, you know, go and lose the next couple of games poorly, and then we're back to square one again, and everyone's all miserable. So it'd be interesting to see what players come in in the next week and whether that kind of is a it's now a platform to build on or whether we're still going to go and have this inconsistent form. Time will tell, I suppose. Yeah, certainly. I, yeah. I think, I, I must admit, I can only remember two shots that Reading had. I can't remember the other five. Um, and it wasn't my impression of the game that we only had roughly a third of the ball either. I thought we were far more effective with it than they were. Um, we didn't lose it that much and certainly not in poor areas where we have in the past. Um, so it it just felt like a, a much more rounded performance. But you are absolutely right. We have to do that regularly. It's once in a blue moon and one swallow does not a summer make. It's got to be consistency. It's funny because I saw um, Pete Smith put something out earlier on um, from the Sentinel, and he said that it was like basically a list of all our games this season and how much percentage uh, possession we had in each one and. All the one, the, the lowest sort of, I think there's like the lowest eight, we'd won seven of them. Yeah. And then the, of the like the 12 that we'd had the most possession in, we'd lost 11 of them. And like, it that is a, a big enough sample size really to say we are much better when we let teams have the ball and come onto us. And then I think when we have too much of the ball, I think that's where we struggle. I think that's something we've said for a long time. The ones that we struggle to break teams down when when they sort of let us have the ball and sort of sit in a bit. I think what's interesting with that is those are the kinds of stats you would have expected from an early Premier League Tony Pulis side when battling against the odds against much better teams and and nicking a one nil win occasionally, as we obviously did pretty effectively. But that's not how this team is set up to play at all. Um, we have players who at this level can use the ball well they just haven't quite a lot um and often when uh we are in inverted commas dominating possession it is just because we're messing around with it at the back and then we make a mistake and we give a stupid goal away and that's happened so many times not just this season it's not just under alex neil it's happened so many times in the last what five six seven years really what did you boys think about uh, Josh Lauren? Um, I mean, he's, a lot of people have been saying how how good he was, and again, he he was solid. I mean, do you think it's a, a big part of the way that we've been playing? Is obviously we've been playing without the guy, so uh, he just adds for me a little bit more 
control to that midfield. And then I think that has the knock-on effect to, like we were talking last week, you know, hoping that he would bring the best out of Baker again and uh, and everyone else around him. I think his influence probably can't be underestimated, can it? I don't think. Uh, no, I was just about we were just about going to Lorraine as well. So it's funny you brought him up because I think he I came. That was the big take I came away from that game is what a difference to the midfield he does make when he plays. And I think he does a lot of the dirty work. He's very, very clever, defensive-minded. Like, he'll cover runs, he'll cover, um, like, when, when say, the uh, the attackers squared up to one of the defenders and they knock the ball past, he's there mopping things up. Um, but also, when he looks to get, when he's got the ball, he's not bad with the ball to his feet either. He can, you know, he can take a man on, he can, he's got, a, you know, a little bit of skill involved in him as well and he can spread the play well. And I, think that was probably his best game in the Stokes shirts last weekend and it really does for me he, he, he frees Baker up as well I think when Loren's not there Baker's maybe being asked to do too many things I think it simplifies Baker's role and allows him to play better as well when he's got Josh next to him yeah I think that's exactly right um I think Baker has suffered probably for a good six months from being all things to all men in in the middle of that uh, midfield, it's it's been a very unsettled. Um, not having the one because of the injury has been a big issue for us. I think it, it, I do agree. It was I thought it was his best game on uh, Saturday, and I thought he did really good things going both ways. He's obviously got a very good engine, and he's he's clearly got a lot of um, uh, sort of now it's about how he positions himself and then uh, intercepts because he did that a lot. My one caveat would be it was against his old club and A, he knows those players very well and B, it's his old club so of course he wants to play well against them. Well, it's his old club but there's rumours that Tommy, we're recording this on a Wednesday night, there's rumours in the uh, the press down that way, Reading way, that it may be his uh, next club as well. I don't know if you've seen these, Simon. But these, no uh, chance. Seems like, like a very strange link for me. I don't. I don't see going, mate. I mean, surely even Josh himself is thinking after playing that shower the other day. Like, why? <laughs> why would I? Why would I go and play for Reading? And you know, the, oh Christ, we aren't the best of teams. Let's be honest. We're, we've got a, still quite a lot of average players right now. I mean, we've had a good result. Don't get me wrong, but. Like if if that's how we are, how bad are Reading? You know, I don't see why he'd want to go. I don't see why the club would let him go because how many players again do we have in that position? Jordan Thompson potentially, but you know we can't have one player for one position. And I'd argue as as much as I like Thompson, I don't. I'm not convinced that he offers the same as as Josh Lorenzo. To, to be honest with you. So, no, I don't see why we let him go, what his value would be. Reading can't spend money. So, mate, I just think it's a lazy link, if you like. I, I would be shocked if that happens. Yeah, me too. I, I haven't knows why he'd want to go and play for uh, a club he's just happily left. And uh, he's just been part of a, a, a team putting together a performance to absolutely annihilate them it just makes no sense to me whatsoever it's a very strange link the only thing i could think is is he like was he settled down that way and he's feeling a bit homesick or something but it's not a million miles away is it it's not <laughs> not really no 
Yeah, but like I say, I'd be I'd be very disappointed if there was anything in it with Stoke. And I, I I'd sort of question what what they're thinking, to be honest, if they've even entertained the idea. I mean, so I mean, obviously looking back at the Reading game, um, we mentioned Will Smallbone. Now we opened the scoring. Um, we mentioned the obviously Gale won the ball out wide, uh, played it into Campbell, and it was a, a nice neat finish from Smallbone. It's nice to see him. It was nice to see him getting forward. Um, so supporting the attacking and obviously giving Campbell that easy option there, isn't it, just to lay him, lay him into his path. Yeah, I agree, mate. I, th- I thought he played much better. Um, great finish, actually. I think any player, I think, would be happy with that finish. You can't can't fault him for that. Um, again, he needs to do far more on a consistent basis. We need more of that from him because I would argue, bar the first couple of games when he looked decent enough for us he's been invisible we've called this out for a number of weeks he has been invisible um so i want to see it on a more more of a consistent basis especially you know again we've got the likes of luton and co coming up it's not going to be easy for him but uh, he he needs to find some consistency because i was i was very much in the camp that if he would have gone back to his parent club I wouldn't have missed him, and I don't think many many fans would, to be honest. But yeah, credit credit to him, mate. Good finish, decent performance. Um, we just need to see more of it. <laughs> Probably goes for a number of players, really. But yeah, we just need to see more from him. I absolutely agree. I've I've very much been in the um, what is the point of Will Smallbone camp? I'm afraid. I know that sounds harsh, but I just haven't seen it. Uh, until the last two three games, um, when I I think he's put in. Uh, better performances. A, a, a lot of that was just down to effort. Uh, I, I, I thought at times he'd hidden in previous games, um, and he's clearly at times only been selected because there really wasn't anyone else to play in that position because Nick Powell was injured. Nick Powell is yet again injured, so um, shock. Yes, kind of by default, Smallbone's going to get picked, but he, he absolutely justified his selection, um, mm. especially on Saturday. The finish was lovely, controlled. Uh, finish down to the bottom corner. Um, more of the same, please, Will. This it's time to push on now. Uh, I think what, what's good. I think it, we're talking about Lauren and th- these people that are coming into form. Hopefully, all at the same time. Whereas previously, we've had a couple of players in form, and everybody else has been um, average to poor. I was going to say. I mean, you may you may be coming onto this, but obviously, again, I don't want to go into. I don't want to be negative here, right? So let's make this brief. Um, Nick Powell, obviously, as we've said, is injured yet again. The guy is doing me flipping head in, to put that very, very politely. Um, we all know how good Nick Powell can be, but we we really just need to cut ties now. There was comments about him negotiating a new contract with the club. We put a post out on Twitter. We had absolutely tons of replies, and a, but I think the general consensus was, unless it's like a pay-as-you-play deal, we should not re-sign him. And I absolutely agree. He either needs to be on peanuts or he needs to be on a pay-as-you-play deal because it's a waste of a squad place. It's a waste of a wage. Um, he'll come into the team, be very influential, as we know he can be, for two or three games. And then he gets himself injured again. The team gets put out of kilter. We've got to try and find a stopgap. Um, he's just a complete and utter liability for me. And the five games or 10 or 15 games, if we're lucky, he might give us a season, does not outweigh the negative impact that he has on, on the team. So um, I'm just keen to see what your guys' thoughts. I mean, Dan will probably say I'd, I'd, I'd still have him for 10, 15 games, but 
I, personally, I, I just think it's, it's a waste of a squad place. So we need to find a replacement for him at the end of this season and wash our hands of him, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you, I, you, you. I personally, sadly, have ended up in that camp. I, I thought when we uh, signed him, it was a fantastic signing. I thought we were going to build a team around him. Uh, but he, we haven't been able to because he's been injured for so long um, at significant points. Um, and just as he makes a comeback and he seems to be getting into form again, he gets injured. Um, I, I just don't think you can uh, rely on him, not because he himself necessarily doesn't perform, it's just that he can't. Um, I think given our constrictions over money and all the the FFP stuff, that it's a, it's a wage that we don't need to spend on, the, on that 10, 15 games a season anymore. Yeah, the the only thing that's now making me think like maybe giving him another one more year is he himself said, didn't he, that ironically it was Nathan Jones who got in the fittest he'd ever been in his career. It's probably was like the only time he's ever really been in the gym. And that season he went basically the whole season without an injury. And that's no coincidence, is it, that player gets fit <laughs> and like physically fit and, and you know gets into the gym and whatever and gets himself, you know, um, in peak condition and then doesn't pick up any injuries and niggles. And I feel like Alex Neal maybe is the kind of manager who would push him into that and would want, you know, my team needs to be fifth, they need to be, you know, they need to be able to run until the 93rd, 95th minute and keep going. And you wonder if he's maybe can push him down the same way. I think this season he struggled because at first game in pre-season he got injured. He picked up an injury, didn't he, in, in the first um, half of the friendly, the first friendly they had behind closed doors and that sort of, that was it then. He lost all pre-season, he'd lost everything, hadn't he? I think he, he struggled to sort of catch up with everything else. Well, that kind of makes it even worse, mate. I mean, he's a professional athlete. Does he need a manager to tell him to get in the gym and get himself fit? Does he really need that? If he's if he he can't keep going. Oh, Nathan Jones made me run. Bloody run for anyone, mate! Like, come on, Simon. What do you think? I was uh, I can think of a few former players who'd want to be having words with him if that was the case. Um, uh, yeah, it. it I, I think um, Alex Neil will probably spend the, the remainder of this season assessing that situation, but um, Nick Powell's going to have to prove himself both in terms of. His performances on the field, but getting onto the field in the first place um, and showing attitude in training um, because otherwise he's going to be looking for another club, I think. Yeah, it was, it was. I mean, we'll just we'll move on after this, but I thought it was very, it was interesting that when Neil came in, I remember him making a comment about if you sign players who are always injured, don't then act surprised when those players pick up injuries for you. And it was, it felt at the time like a bit of a sort of, thinly veiled sort of dig at at, uh, at Nick and probably a few others in the squad. So it is interesting if the reports are true and they are sort of, you know, trying to open up negotiations on a new deal, now Alex Neal's maybe changed his mind on that or maybe softened his stance, maybe. I suppose that depends what the new deal is that they're negotiating. If, if it's a more of a uh, short-term I don't even know if there is such a thing as pay as you play these days, but it could be more more biased towards appearances or game time. Then 
I can see the point of that. But I, I think for a player of Nick Powell's talent, you want to be building your team around him. Uh, and we just can't do that. There won't be a queue of teams lining up for him, mate. So I, I don't think he's going to have he much of a choice. I was going to say, do you think he gets another championship club? Um, uh, well, the championship right now, but it wouldn't surprise me if he went back to Wigan, local, local club, etc. It wouldn't surprise me. He won't get a top 10, top 15 club. No way. Okay. So, um, obviously, he's one forward who we've, um, you know, who's had his injury troubles. Another one who's previously had his injuries and looks like he's sort of, since the World Cup, he's now sort of well and truly maybe over them, is Tyrese Campbell. Uh, obviously, he, at one point, he'd set, he'd either scored or assisted in seven out of our nine goals um, since the World Cup, yet there are fans who still still aren't on board with him and still maybe a open to the, he's lazy or he's doing he's, he's not contributing where do you sit with with Tyrese Simon are you are you a Tyrese fan or do you think there's there's more in there I'm absolutely a fan of Tyrese's talent and he excites me he gets with my seat he's got a heck of a left foot he can beat a player both for pace with a trick with some skill um, he's got great vision. He makes himself available, but I do understand why some fans think that he's lazy or accuse him of being lazy. Sometimes I think he's just taking a breather. There are other times where I think he does let his head drop a bit. Um, he doesn't have the same work rate and work ethic as, for example, Jacob Brown. Jacob Brown doesn't have Tyrese Campbell's talent. Maybe that's why they work fairly well together. They complement. Um, we've already talked about Dwight Gale. He's different again, much more experienced, um, maybe a blend of those those things. But I think Tyrese Campbell gives us things that we just don't have if he's not in the team. Um, haven't you, haven't you just explained Ricardo Fuller to me, Simon? Uh, what, what, what was it with Fuller? We would allow him to get away with murder, not chase back, yeah. because we knew that he was capable of something special. So what's so different about Ricardo Fuller than Tyrese Campbell? Well, I, th- I think, and this is where it's so interesting that a manager like manager like Tony Pulis uh, accepted, nourished, and loved a Ricardo Fuller because everyone thinks of Tony Pulis as rigid, disciplinarian, organised. All of that was to allow Fuller to go and create magic at the other end of the pitch because scoring goals is the hardest thing in football. Um, so I think uh Tyrese is the closest thing we've got to Ricardo at the moment he's not Ricardo Fuller um but he certainly has a huge amount of talent he's still relatively young and he has I think taken quite a long time to get over that horrific knee injury that he had um but we are starting to see um him deliver now um I think he uh, really is uh producing both scoring himself creating for others being involved in in moves and excitement. And let's face it, we need some excitement in our Stoke watching lives in these last few months. It's been pretty grim. So the more of that, the merrier for me. Yeah, I, I think as well, it's funny you should mention Ricardo Fuller because even when he was beating players and, and scoring you know, fantastic solo goals, people were still calling him lazy, weren't they, and calling him out for not tracking back. And I think it's... There has to... You wonder whether... like there. Are, Pacey players, like you say, Jacob Brown is quite happy, and you'll constantly be tracking back and chart. You know, 
pressing and running all day because that's his strength, that's his game. With players who rely on quick bursts of pace, if you expect them to run around constantly and chase and hurry and press, and when they actually come to need that burst of pace, it's not going to be there or it's not going to be as much as it could be because they've exceeded, you know, they've expelled so much energy just, you know, doing the general sort of defensive work, if you like. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think there's there's room in a team of 11 for at least one of those. Uh, and that is Tyrese in our um, our current squad. So, Danny, uh, moving on a little bit, mate. Um, I haven't actually seen them. I'm sure you've got them to hand. But what was the man of the match poll results? Any particular surprises? I'm, I'm guessing Dwight must be up there for his performance, but... So third place was somebody we haven't mentioned at all, Ben Wilmot. I thought he was my man of the match. I thought he was brilliant on Saturday, but I can see why strikers won when we won 4-0. Yeah, second was Josh Loren and first was Dwight Gale. Um, huh. I'd say three. So you've you got your, your striker, your fielder and your, your defender. So just that just shows don't it, that all over the pitch we were, you know, people were having good games and that. I mean, there's, like so many more. I mean, like I say, Campbell got a goal on an assist. Um, obviously, you know, Timon's put an absolute peach of a ball in for Brown <laughs> for his goal. Um, yeah. Brown, he's had a good game at right. I was actually quite impressed with him at right wing back as well. I thought in that first half, there was he nearly got himself a goal, didn't he? At the end of the first half, where Campbell got uh, pulled it back to him. And I think when he does play wing back, he's starting to get. He's starting to come inside when we've got the when we have got the ball in that final third. He's joining the attacks, literally getting himself in the penalty box, and that is like having an extra attacker on the pitch. So it may be a position that he finds himself in more often if he's going to be contributing, especially in home games. And also, if if it's Gale and Campbell of the top uh, two up front, then that's really where he's got to play. Yeah, and it just just um, let us in as well, don't it? To like say, get an extra attacker on. Um, as for player of the season, so the man of the match poll there, obviously Gale won this time. That actually takes Gale up into third place overall in our player of the season. Um, we've dropped Fosu and Harry Clark out, who were second and fourth, because uh, obviously I'm going to add to that. Uh, so that's Gale is third on 270 points. Phil Jagielka is actually second with 272. And Wilmot is clear away on 382 points. So... They come from the man of the match polls that we do on um, on Facebook every every game. Simon, is that fair? Would you say this season, Wilmot, Jagielka, Gale, three best players we've had apparently. Um, looking at our season as a whole, difficult to pick anybody out particularly who's impressed me over a season. There have been players who have had spells where they've been good. Um, yeah, Ben Wilmot's been fairly consistent. He's also had a couple of nightmares as well. Um, Jags, when he's played, has been really good. I, I, I just am constantly impressed that a 40-year-old can play professional football at this level. It's remarkable. <laughs> um, but even taking his age out of it, yeah, he's, he's been one of our most consistent performers, I, I suppose. The fact that um, those two are clear in the way leading the sort of overall polls and then it's Dwight Gale who scored one goal off his back um, in third just tells you everything about what the rest of our season's been like in our attack um, and they, 
those, those players really need to start coming to the fore now. Yeah, hopefully, like I say, all four attackers got themselves on the score sheet last week. Let's hope that at least you know two or three of them can now kick on and go on a bit of a run. And I think that could be quite exciting for us if we get two or three of them clicking at the same time week after week. I think Sunday's a really big game for, in that sense because um, it, it's a massive test for our mental approach, our attitude to a game, which obviously we should win. But I tell you what, they are not going to be any pushovers. We're going to have to work hard and we're going to have to take our chances because they're a good team. They are indeed. So um, we'll get on to that shortly, don't you worry. <laughs> um, just close off this writing section. So obviously we spoke to Matt um, beforehand. He's a Reading fan. We spoke to him before the game and we caught up with him again after uh, just to give us his thoughts on how he thought it went. Hi, it's Matt from the EPR Reading FC podcast. Um, just reviewing the the four 0 loss um, for Reading, obviously at the weekend to to you guys at Stoke. Um, I mean, where to start? Everything that's been good about Reading this season, effort, commitment, you know, just was nowhere to be seen against you guys. You know, you you pressed us, did very well on that side of things. You know, did, ran out deserved winners. Um, but I mean, from from a Reading perspective, it was the most unreading like performance this season. I mean, Paul Lintz commented after the game, you know, that, that that the minimum he expects really is maximum effort, you know, and that just wasn't wasn't there. Whether you know we got Man United in the cup next week, whether some players had their eyes on that, I don't know. You'd certainly hope not. Um, but it just, yeah, nothing. Nothing came together for um, for Reading. The midfield was anonymous. Um, it was the first time we had a midfielder, Tyrese Fauna, back in the side. But you know, it just nothing, nothing worked. We obviously again missing Andy Carroll up top. But you know, you could have put anyone up top um, on Saturday, and you know, we still wouldn't have had any more shots or um, <laughs> even scored. You know, um, because the ball just never got never got up there you know and then you you combine all of that with the defensive mistakes the decision making was just horrid at times you know the first goal and the Yeardham and Tom Holmes just passing between each other what on earth they're doing there they pass it to each other twice you know and um, I mean the second time Yeardham has a Stoke City player on his back it was just baffling the second goal Tom Holmes passing it straight into the midfield right into I think it was Baker's path you know, good anticipation from from um, from Baker, obviously, to win the ball. But again, just decision making was just dreadful. Um, I mean, from a from a Reading perspective, you just hope it's a it's a bump in the road because, as I said, it was just the most unreading like performance. You know, like the thing with Reading this season has been that they've outworked teams all through the season. That's how they've got results because we don't have the best team. You know, we don't really have that good a team. Really, we've got the offcuts of really every other team in the country with free transfers and loans but um but we've got past that through effort and seemingly yesterday for the first time it just wasn't there um like I say whether players had eyes on the united game i don't know but um but yeah you know losing 4-0 after throwing away a 2-0 lead at home to QPR we now go away to united in the cup after that Watford and Sunderland away it's a tough run of games, you know, and I mean, it's not really a run of games that you want to be breaking a bad, a bad run with, um, you know, I think we're now, I think it's winless in four, um, you know, so hopefully the team can, can turn it around and, you know, the weekend is a bit of a blip, 
we've sometimes had results like this. Sheffield United, Rotherham away, Sunderland at home. Earlier in the season, we've responded well. Um, haven't had a result like that for for a while now. So um, maybe it'd be a kick kick up um, kick up the backside of a few of the players. But um, but yeah, because we still need to get points on the board to confirm status for next year. You know, it's still the point I'm looking at. Just get the points, get to fifty points, and you know, confirm your status, and then we can um, look ahead, look up. But um, but yeah, it was just a truly truly dismal afternoon uh, on Saturday for Reading. Cheers for that, Matt. Um, yeah, what, not not going to be your uh, your greatest day out this season, is it? But yeah, best of luck for the rest of the season, mate. So shall we now move on into the news? Yeah, why not? Okay, so got some under 18s news. So they didn't have a game last week. The under 18s didn't. Uh, this week they are away to Nottingham Forest. That's Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff. That's in the league. In the league, uh, their youth cup fifth round tie opponents have been decided. So they beat Man United in round four, round five. They are now going to play West Ham after they beat Burnley one 0 with a 91st minute winner. And uh, that was just last night. That was Tuesday night. Um, do you want the good news or the, or the great news? Both. <laughs> uh, West Ham have won 13 out of 13 games at under 18 level this season. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so that's going to be a really tricky tie, but obviously that'll be... It's um, at home and, you know, it's going to be another another tough test for the lads and probably a great learning curve for them again because obviously this West Ham side sounds like it's got a lot of talent in it there so uh, yeah another good experience for our lads and hopefully they might you know get a few play- few people down to the bet 365 as well uh, the under 21s they had no game last week either and this week they wrap up their Premier League International Cup group stage matches uh, with a game against Dinamo Zagreb at the bet 365 stadium on Wednesday with a 7 p.m kickoff. Uh, we need to win this game to give us a chance of qualifying. Looking at it, I think if we do manage to win, we've probably got a decent chance of getting through, but not guaranteed. So, yeah, first thing we're going to do, win the game, and then just hope that a couple of results probably drop our way in other groups and uh, get ourselves into the last eight in that competition. Uh, the women. So the women returned uh, to league action last week, but they got a 5-1 defeat away at Derby. So... Uh, Friend of the pod, Lou Roberts, she's still in charge there. And uh, Cavell gave them hope uh, early on in the second half. They were 2 0 down at half time, pulled it back to 2 1. Uh, but then Derby ran away with it late on with a trio of late goals to wrap a 5 1 win. Uh, this week, they are in Staff's Challenge Cup semi final action, playing the City of Stoke away on Sunday. So, the uh, a competition that they've been very, very, very successful. Uh, winning pretty much every year now for over a decade and they'll be hoping to make another final with a win on Sunday so best of luck to the women into some news now and obviously we've got some transfer news here so the under 23's captain Matt Baker has joined Newport County on loan Um, so that's a pretty big step up there would you say uh, Simon obviously he's going from you know under 23's football now he's going to get his first taste of competitive men's football in the league two Yes, absolutely, which I think is always good for a younger player. Um, but he's he's at an age now where he need he needs to be playing, so it's, it's perfect for a loan. Uh, and we've had 
some really good success with loans over uh, the last few years, down to lower divisions. You think of Connor Taylor uh, and obviously Harry Seaton before that. It shows yeah. what potential they must see in him, though, to to get him straight out to a League Two club. I mean, they're not starting him further down the you know the, the pecking order. They're getting him straight in there and giving a bit of a challenge. So, I mean, we'll we'll have to um, do some mega sleuthing, mate, and try and keep a, a tab and get some low knee reports on him, I think. Yeah, I think he's been uh, he's been getting some rave reviews for the number twenty threes for a long time now. So um, yeah, like I say, he's got the captain's armband for him as well. So uh, yeah, he's definitely very highly rated at Stoke, and obviously somebody at Newport has uh, seen that as well, haven't they? And and taken a chance on bringing him in for the rest of the season. So good luck there to to Matt. Uh, we've made a signing, folks. First one of the transfer window. <laughs> And there might be another one following as well, from what we believe. But yeah, the goalkeeping situation has improved dramatically. So we've got, I'm going to butcher his name now, Mataika Sarkic has joined from Wolves. 25-year-old Montenegro international. Um, Another Stoke target, Dan Bentley, actually left Bristol City and signed for Wolves. And that actually freed up Sarkic to come to Stoke for the rest of the season. Um, now, if it helps, by the way, Dan, sorry to jump in. Um, I've the, he's just posted a video on uh Twitter, he pronounces it as Matia. Just saying now, Matia. Well, there we go. Apparently, See, you, <laughs> you learn everything on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know much about him. Uh, he apparently was player of the season for Birmingham last season. Uh, despite only playing half the half a season, he played signed in the summer, um, got to January, and I think he played 15 games. But then he sort of dislocated his shoulder, I believe, and that put him out for the rest of the season. However, he still got Birmingham's Player of the Year. So yeah, that's quite remarkable, isn't it? Really, I mean, it must say something about the rest of the Birmingham squad last season. But that that is quite remarkable that Birmingham took him to their heart so let's hope he can do the same for us I must admit the, the goalkeeping situation has had me tearing my hair out what little's left <laughs> this season um, for all sorts of reasons just, just disappointed with the Bursic situation because he hasn't kicked on um, not understanding why we've let the situation get to Jack Bonham being our first choice um, feeling that Bursic going to to Belgium. We've we've managed to somehow let him slip for half a million quid, which seems like peanuts. But now this seems like a really good signing. I know it's only on loan, um, but hopefully um, he plugs what I think has been a yawning gap for half, well, quite a quite some time now. Not even just half of this season. Before that, too. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we've got any sort of option to make it a permanent deal in the summer as well. If he if he impresses for us. Um, I believe we have, mate. Yeah. Oh, that well, that well, that could come in quite handy then, couldn't it? Come the summer. Um, yeah, um, certainly. Bentley coming in at Wolves means that there's there's not really a place for him now. Um, so let's let's welcome him and hope he um, absolutely delivers for us. I suppose if the uh, if you're looking at filling your quotas, and I know the Premier League are up in the the homegrown quota again, aren't they? Um, every few years and that, so maybe. I suppose you reserve goalkeeper if you can get one who's homegrown of a similar standard to your current one who's not. It makes sense for them, doesn't it, I suppose, to do that? Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, like I would say he was at Birmingham and we can read and we can see he got player of the year. Um, but what 
we will one step further on this podcast and we've been in touch with some Birmingham fans who have let us know exactly how they uh, felt when he played for them last year and their, their opinions of him. Hello, I'm Tommy and this is my review on former Blues loanee Matthias Sarkic. When Sarkic first arrived at the club at the start of the 21-22 season, I saw nothing but a nervous young goalkeeper. Uh, he, had, he had a horrible pre-season and we all thought he'd be shipped out pretty quickly. Uh, however, I was gladly wrong about him, as his performances were nothing short of spectacular for us during a short spell at the club. Uh, he went back in January due to a shoulder injury, but he was so crucial that he won our player of the season. Some of the things you can look forward to seeing from him are his aerial ability, his shot stopping and distribution, which overall made him so successful at the Blues. Countless times last season he kept us in games and as soon as he left our form shot down the table and we finished 20th. One thing though, he is certainly a confidence player so you've got to get behind him because with confidence he's unstoppable. He's only shaky when people get on his back but with a little bit of belief from the fans you won't ever see a bad performance from him. He also plays well even behind a poor defence. As wasn't anything special like I said we finished 20th last season yet still he can pull off outrageous saves from nowhere. I'm sure you'll be able to find some save compilations from him last season. I highly recommend you watch them because they are amazing, particularly his kick-out that eventually leads to Deeney scoring against Cardiff. That was some goal, that was. Uh, I really hope he does well for you guys, uh, even though we do have a bit of a rivalry between us, Blues and Stoke. Uh, but I hope he does well because he's a quality keeper and such a nice guy as well. I met him at the awards evening last year and he was a top bloke. Uh, so good luck to him. Bitterly disappointed he's not still ours, but um, you know that's what yeah, that's what you get for having no money. BSHL out. Thank you for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed this little piece on Sarkic. Hope you found it informative. Uh, if you want to see more from myself and Blues Focus, uh, you can find us on YouTube and at Blues Focus, as well as on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I do regular match day vlogs, which you can tune into every week. We do a podcast too with myself, Zach and Jamie. You know, we've got loads of stuff going on, so be sure to come check us out. Uh, thank you for listening and keep right on. Cheers, Tommy. Um, yeah, so all sounds positive there. Um, definitely made an impression. Uh, another player who could be coming in and hopefully making another positive impression is uh, Bersent Selina. So at the time of recording, it's been reported that he's passed a medical and is expected to sign on loan for the rest of the season. Now, I know we we were after him in the summer, weren't we? Because he spent last season on loan at Ipswich and sort of had a good time there. Obviously, he's played for Swansea before, he's played for Manchester City. Um, but he, he obviously turns down the summer. Well, he didn't, I don't think he turns down, but he ended up going to Kazin uh, Passer in Turkey. Uh, but obviously, they've now, uh, Dijon his club have called him back and looks like he's now coming to, to the posse. So is this a um a signing that excites you, Michael? Um I mean if I'm honest, I can't say I'm like most Stoke fans, I can't really say I've really seen much of him. I mean obviously he's he's got a clause that we can again another one we can sign at the end of the season, which um probably says a lot about our current financial predicament as much as anything. We can't actually sign them just just yet, but uh, it's a free hit, isn't it, mate? At the end of the day, you know he's got he's got a few months to uh, you know get himself proven proven his ability. I mean there's two managers now who have clearly thought that he's worth a try. Uh, I know, obviously, as you said, he wanted to be signed under under Michael O'Neill. 
Um, clearly, the scouting's been done uh, past that bit. Obviously, the the owners are not going to force a player on a manager. So, of course, Alex Neal must see something in him that he likes. But again, this, as I said, could be very well a, a cheaper free hit. If he does well, he signs. If he doesn't, no harm done. You know, we shouldn't be going down. So I think this is the perfect time to be trialling this type of a player. Give him a chance, make him prove himself. Um, and if he doesn't, well, as I said, no harm done. So I just want to see what's going to happen, mate. I mean, Wright Phillips, I mean, I'm sorry from jumping the gun, but Wright Phillips seems like he's going to be going out um, on loan. I think some, I think it's League One and League Two clubs uh, want him, which, funny enough, people are calling for, for Wright Phillips. Does it say a little bit about where the rest of the, the league think he is? He's clear that you know there's not exactly a, a string of championship clubs looking to loan the guy. So, you know, I think again, Phillips for me probably needs to go out, which as I said, considering we're after wingers, I think it says a lot. But um I mean Simon, are you quite happy about Selena? I don't suppose you've ever seen him play, have you at all? Or? Uh only on television, not live. Uh I I think um well I was reading up on him once I'd I'd heard his name in the summer. Um he plays quite often on the wing but also plays as a 10 quite a lot depending on where he's fitting in and who else has been at whichever club he's been at obviously mostly Swansea and Ipswich in in uh, in England or Wales mm. um so he, he can he is multi-purpose in that sense it'll be interesting to see where Neil uses him because as we were saying earlier if Smallbone is sort of owning the 10 does that mean that we're more looking at Selena on the wing um, the stuff I've read today, um, once I'd heard that he was actually back in the country and looking like him, he was going to sign um, from fans of other clubs, Ipswich and Swansea, um, is, is that he's, he's very, very skillful, um, really good vision, tries quite impudent skill at times, quite an exciting player, someone else to get us off our seats. Um, so if, that, if that's the case, then fantastic. Let, let's see him. Let's um, give him every opportunity. Try him in whichever position is going to fit with the teams. I think what, that's one of the things for me that I'm not sure yet whether Alex Neil wants to play 3-5-2 or wants to play 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1. I'm not even sure he knows yet. He's just trying to get an 11 on the pitch that play effectively together consistently. Um, so maybe this will start to formulate what his actual stamp is, because I think we we all have to remember that um, Neil joined us just before the end of the August transfer window. So he hasn't had any opportunity to do anything really apart from work with what he got. Yeah, it's it's also interesting how obviously people say that the manager has full control over transfers at the club and all that. And now we need to move away from that model and be more like other clubs where the recruitment is done by sort of a team and the manager is more of a head coach who doesn't get much of a say. This transfer would suggest that we the manager isn't totally in charge and there is a, t- a recruitment team that sort of will push certain players forward. Wouldn't it be f- the fact that he's obviously, he's not the first manager who's been, uh, he's not the first time he's been linked with Stoke and it was a former manager who was in charge then. That's right, and a completely different recruitment team, really. Um, the scouts would probably be the same, but um, the uh, the people making the decisions, owners aside, are, are different. So he's clearly a talented player, um, and clearly both Michael O'Neill and now Alex Neil can see where he will fit and what he will bring to the club 
Uh, and as Alex has said, throughout the first three very barren feeling weeks of this transfer window, he's only going to get players in that improve the 11. He's not looking for padding out the squad. And, and he's quite right. You know, we've, we've got a, a fairly kind of amorphous blob of a squad in many ways. Um, we, we need to see players coming in that are going to contribute and make us better for 90 minutes. I can tell you right. That's great. Was it Morpheus Blob? Is that the, is that the team you just used? Yeah, that's what <laughs> that's I feel. What a great uh, what a great word. What the heck does it mean? <laughs> it, it's it's basically like you're juggling jelly and trying to force <laughs> it to something that makes sense, but it's jelly, so you can't. Does that, that make sense? Give, yeah, we give people everything. We we're educating as well now, Dan. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, just to interject there, but <laughs> um, just to wrap up the news, uh, under 18s uh, player Adam Watson, he actually got man of the match for New Zealand uh, this week in a 4-1 semi-final win over Fiji at the Oceania Under 17 Championships. Uh, so good luck to him in the final. Uh, he's obviously doing well down there um, for New Zealand. And the final news story is one that. Sort of broke before before the uh, game against um, Reading in that the last week was that Harry Souter obviously didn't play, but he'd already had a ten million pound bid from Leicester. The club rejected. He came back the next day with fifteen million pounds, which I believe was rejected as well. And Leicester are obviously off there, you know, thinking about a third bid. There are other parties interested. Plenty of other clubs have been linked. What's your thoughts? Uh, I'll come to you first, um, Simon. Do you, what's your thoughts on Harry? Is, is he? Do you think he's pretty much gone at this point? Um, I would love to be able to keep Harry Suter, but I think the reality is at the moment that um, we can't for various reasons. One of those is, is clearly for football reasons. We're a lower sort of third of the championship club right now. Um, and he is good enough to play in the Premier League. He proved that in the World Cup with his fantastic performances. Um, so I think that's that's one key thing. And then obviously there's the financials. Um, I think if that bid goes up to circa 18 and anywhere near 20, then that probably will be accepted. Um, but of course, we've only got a few days of the window left, so we'll just have to see. Uh, Leicester probably need another centre-half so maybe we're just going to hold out towards the end of the window and see what we can push them to I was thinking personally I'd I'd, I'd really just keep hold of him until let's say deadline day because I think the closer they there's a few teams down the bottom of the Premier League and the closer they get to that deadline the more desperate they're going to get and then they'll just throw money at it because it's worth so much for them to stay up. So oh, I think absolutely. that, yeah, that extra two or three million that we might get could be massive to us, but in the grand scheme of things to them will be very little at that point. Yeah, that that makes complete sense. And I, I think um, I, I, I would love to be able to keep hold of him, but I just don't think that's tenable at the moment. And uh, it doesn't worry me too much in a footballing sense to get to the end of the season without Harry Sutar. I think if we were pushing for promotion, I would absolutely be vehemently not wanting to sell him. But we're not. Like like um, we've said, mate, I mean, we uh, Dan may have said this I think a number of weeks ago, but we've pretty much gone an entire season 
you know, with without him you know we've been able to deal without him for a long time um so we can we can get by again you know if we've we've got Connor Taylor who could definitely come in and do a good enough job obviously Jaggy Alka's still there we've got Wilmot we've we've got players to get us through this season um and, and on the flip side I think if we didn't sell him now his value would be the same in the summer as well um I think that the difference is where Dan's just mentioned the teams at the bottom end of the Premier League or you know teams find to to make something that's where you might be able to squeeze him through this month and an extra couple of million quid but i think they were taking the pee a little bit to be honest with 10 million quid no doubt exactly. testing the waters but if they've got an agent who's actually knows anything i don't even know why they bothered for 10 million because we would be idiots to do it you know ffp yes keeps coming up over and over and over again and we mention it a lot on this pod but obviously it's relevant so i said to you simon before recording right so that we haven't gone into this window having to sell Suter to balance the books. So they've already taken that into, into account of what we had to do. So we don't need to sell him. And I'm glad we've gone back and said, sticky 10 million and sticky 15 million. We're clearly not going to get Iverson now. So he's not going to be thrown into the to the deal. So we, we do need 18 plus million for him. Yeah. Probably, like anything, plus percentage of profit, sell on in the future, international caps which you'd obviously get easily um yeah i mean i guess it depends who who he signs for as well but um, for me mate i totally agree don't need to sell him but he is going to go so let's just make him one of the most i think probably will be the most expensive defender um to to lead the championship if i'm not mistaken so not 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 a bad uh, not a bad record to have and yeah be ashamed to see him go mate but it's the time's come now i think unfortunately yeah, I think so. And also, um, there's the uh, the fact that if we did get 18 million for him, we'd have finally made the money back on Kevin Vimmer. <laughs> yeah. I made this point at the weekend. I said, what we should do is we should go into negotiations and go, right, we valued Kevin Wimmer at 18 million. Therefore, Harry Suter must be worth <laughs> 50. <laughs> and, and like, I wonder what, like that that thing for people listening to this. Get yourself onto onto Twitter. If if Kevin Wim is worth eighty million, what does that mean? Harry Suter should be sold for on that basis. Well, if it's if it's Spurs who are buying, then we up the, the we up, definitely up the price. We owe them a lot. Um, I mean, Crouchy was the best deal we ever had, ever had off them, but still. They've sold us some crap over the years. Palacios and, yeah. and Vemmer, Jesus. It was Palacios, so it wasn't all good. And they say, yeah, we'll have, we'll have uh, 20 million for Suter, then we've got to add 18 million on for women, add 8 million on for Palacios. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have 45 million, then we'll start talking space. <laughs> um, I think that's round. Shall we have a chat about the weekend game? Oh, go on then. <laughs> Why not? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So I'm going to hit you with some stats. So we have only ever played Stevenage once, and it was a 4-0 League Cup win at Stevenage in 2016. Can you remember who scored a hat-trick that day? It was Peter Crouch. It was indeed our last hat-trick. So maybe we could follow it up with another one on Saturday. Uh, The other goal was scored by Phil Bardsley. Stokes FA Cup record of all time, 350 matches played, 130 wins, 130 defeats and 90 draws. So a nice bit of symmetry there. Uh, Hopefully we can uh, get, um, for the first time in a long time, actually have more wins than losses. Um, We've reached round five seven times in 35 years, but only three times in 25 seasons outside of the top flight. So this could, if we win on against Stevenage, it'll be only the fourth time in 26 that we've managed to make the last five when we haven't been in the Premier League. Uh, Stevenage weren't formed until 1976 and have reached round five uh, in 2012 when after a goalless home draw versus Spurs, they lost 3-1 at White Hart Lane. Um, Just out of interest, can you remember what happened the following tie for Tottenham in the next round? They played Bolton at home. Can you remember what happened in that match? Is that the one that was abandoned? It was, yes, for Fabrice Mwamba. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, so that's uh, that's 11 years ago. How crazy is that? I know. I remember watching that on TV. Yeah. It's it's, it's one of them moments, and it's a bit like... Um, with what's his face from Man United who collapsed on the pitch and everyone was, you, you don't forget Ericsson, thank you. You'll you begin with an E, couldn't remember. Uh, yeah, so Ericsson, when he went down, I mean, everyone will remember where they were when that happened. And I remember where we were when, obviously, we saw Moamba as well. But yeah, you don't forget those things, mate. But I can't believe that sort of 10, 11 years ago. Jeez. Um, Stephen have also got to round four on three other occasions. Uh, they got there in 1998. Um, when they were in the conference and they took eventual runners-up Newcastle to a replay in round four. Uh, in 2011, they actually beat Newcastle 3-1 uh, before losing 2-1 to Reading in round four. And in 2014, when after beating championship side Doncaster, they lost 4-0 at home to Everton. So not not too bad for a team that have been non-league or you know league two for the majority. Um, they've got a decent recent record there. Uh, this season, they have won away at Aston Villa, Gateshead and Kings Lynn in this cup run. So all three games they played have all been away. They've won them all. And Stoke's home record this season has seen them pick up 15 points from 14 home games, while Stephen each is away form, sees them pick up 18 points from 12 league games, uh, but with no away defeat in the league since they played Bradford on the 17th of September. So, 
That's a little bit of a good run there, away from moment. It's she's throwing Villa Gateshead in Kingsland as well. That's they're not a bad side on the road by the looks of it. No, I think like, Simon said that, didn't you, Simon? About how yeah, how they're, good they're, they look away. I, I watched that Villa game, which um, they they hung on for a good chunk of it, but then towards the end they came on very strong. They were only a goal behind, uh, and deservedly then nicked two goals. Uh, one was a penalty. Um, and then a very cheeky uh, set piece routine to um, score a fantastic winner. Um, so the, do, do not rule them out. Steve Evans as a manager, he, he's quite annoying uh, as a person, but he's a really good football manager. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he's got them very well organised. And they hammered Leighton Orient at the weekend, 3-0. Apparently it should have been more. Uh, and Orient are runaway with, uh, leaders of um, League Two. And Steve Nidja right behind them now. Um, so let, let's not take this for granted. Uh, I don't I think, think we're going to make... Oh, sorry, Jordan. I was just going to say, with the Steve Evans side, you know that they, they're going to they're going to battle, aren't they? They're going to be physical. They're going to be in your face. Then, you know, that's, he sets his team... You know, they, they play for the sheer, don't they, those you know, his teams. He always gets them up for games. So we've got to be strong on Sunday. The, you know, they don't take them lightly. We've got to be out there. We've got to be roll our sleeves up and be prepared to dig in. Really, I was going to say exactly that, mate. Yeah, the I don't think there's going to be a lot of changes. Um, be interesting to see again if this is the last time that we see Jack Bonham in goal for Stoke. Could be. Um, again, we've got you know a couple of new players coming in. There's Selena. Maybe he'll get a game. Um, I don't think we're going to make any dramatic changes. I think the defence will be pretty much the uniform, probably only because we haven't got exactly many other options there uh, right now. But uh, personally, I'm not expecting wholesale changes. If Wright Phillips doesn't go out on loan, then I'm, I'm assuming that he might um, you know, potentially get a game. I'm just trying to look at the actual kind of um, team. I mean, on the bench, obviously, I was thinking about who we had. Jordan Thompson will come in. Um, Connor Taylor, no doubt, will probably come in. Is it a chance, maybe, for the likes of of Emery? Uh, do you think to maybe come in and and kind of have a good ninety minutes, or is that a little bit too much pressure on on Emery? Uh, what what's your thoughts, Dan? I know you 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 made a comment about this earlier on. I think I was going to say yeah, because obviously I was going to ask about youth because you've got Tesgell, you've got Lowe, uh, there's Taylor, there's Macari, there's even Wright Phillips if he's, if he's still at the club come the weekend. Um, you know, and then any other under 23s players, you know, maybe like Jack Griffiths, uh, um, people like that. Is is there anybody that either you feel should be given a start at the weekend? Um, I'd say Emre for me, like I said, I think, yeah, give, give him a shout. I mean, it's it's a, I don't, I'm just thinking, is it better to give him or attempt to give him 90 minutes or even 60 or 70 minutes? get that kind of comfort instead of coming on, maybe if it's a tight game and, you know, we need a goal, is it fair to put him under the pressure of, right, you've got 15 minutes, go and win as the game? I guess it'd show what his character's like, but I personally would rather start him, maybe start him with Dwight Gale. You know, they seem to get on pretty well, so get get them two together again. Um, see see what he's capable of for a good 60, 70 minutes. We should have more than enough to beat Stevenage. I know we're talking about them being a good team, but again, if you want to progress, we should have more than enough as a championship team. So, Emre, definitely. Uh, you mentioned Nathan Lomé. Um, 
yeah, why not get him on the bench? Uh, bring bring him on. Maybe he's the player to bring on with 10, 15 minutes to go, even if we're winning uh, comfortably. Connor Taylor has to come in for, for sure for me. He was unlucky to get dropped in the first place. So no doubt Jaggy Elko will get a bit of a rest um, and he'll, he'll come in for that. Other than that, genuinely not expecting much, if any other change, other than, like I said, the goalkeeper situation. Um, just to let you know, Sarkic did put Sarkic did play for Wolves against Liverpool in the third round, so we will be cup tied. So Bonham will be sticking in goal unless we put Fielding in there. Ah, uh, I, I would definitely uh, see Connor Taylor playing uh, to rest Jags. Absolutely, um, I, I think that's a, a no-brainer. Uh, but I also agree that I don't think there'll be huge wholesale changes. Because I think actually uh, it's a really good opportunity to bed down some consistency by keeping the team selection consistent. Wouldn't it be good to win two games back to back, three, four, five nil? Oh my word, that would be amazing <laughs> for the for the fans, for the confidence, for for everything. I mean, you know, a couple of good positive signings. Because I mean, if I'm not mistaken, when the draw for the next round is made. Um, Obviously, that's going to get us potentially, you know, if we get a Man United or a Spurs or a, an, whoever, um, you know, whoever we get, that's going to potentially add another million or two on. So that could impact who we could get in this window as well. Um, so there's there's a lot on it. We don't really want to be bowing out at this point now. Well, I've actually got some numbers here. You know, I like my numbers. Oh, yeah. So round three, for winning in round three, we've got £105,000 prize money. If we win on Sunday, it's another £120,000 prize money. Then, if you get into round five, if you're on TV in round five, you're looking at another 287000 for being televised. And obviously, the gate receipts are split 45% with you to either side, and then the other 10% goes to the FA. So, if we, what the manager will probably be looking at this is thinking, if we get here, he's got another 120000 for winning. And then, if we can end up with a tie that's I don't know, Manchester United away, Newcastle away, Tottenham away, then all of a sudden he's probably looking at a million pound gate receipts and uh, probably two hundred, you know, £280,000 TV money. So you're looking at the best part of a million, one and a half million pound possibly coming from winning this game, you know, if you get the right draw. And that landing, I mean, I'm sure if we get, you know, I'm sure if, if we get drawn away at Man United, on on the uh, on the Monday or whatever the draw is, um, then I'm sure the the uh, the board will be like, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that that money's going to be there. Pretty safe to, there'll be a sellout to Old Trafford. Uh, we can you know authorize this signing, this signing, whatever. So I think he'll quite happily uh, take take that money, like say, into his uh, deadline day deals. I was going to say in terms of uh, gate receipts as well, mate. Obviously against Stevenage, we're not going to be. Uh... We're not going to be making too much money on the tickets. I think it's you know, still kid for a quid, isn't it? Um, I think it's £10 for, for adult season ticket card holders, if I remember rightly, as well. So there's not going to be massive ticket money um, going around. But uh, I, th- I think it was just probably good to remind people, actually, if they haven't brought a ticket yet, actually. So um, it's going to be on sale only until half past 12 on Sunday. So don't turn up at kickoff an hour or half an hour before and expect just to get in because it ain't going to happen. So just make sure you buy them between now and half 12. And uh, yeah, I think if you print, I know I heard a few mumblings about booking fees and stuff, which has been going on 
every now and then all, all season anyway. But um, obviously, I think if you do it from home, print at home and stuff, then you don't pay them fees. But just thought it was a good point to to mention. I wonder what happened to like pay on the gate. You used to, you used to oh, God, yeah. just pay on the gate, didn't you, years and years gone by? Was that not anymore. unreserved seating, though? Or is it, it's not going to be unreserved seating, is it, this? So, I suppose no, not. My take it, it's not unreserved. Yeah. So what do we think would be a decent crowd? So, I mean, I think is the way end is it close to being sold out, I believe, four and a half thousand tickets, Stevenage. Oh. Which yeah. is a fantastic achievement, really, for them. Um, well, you'd hope for at least 10,000 Stoke fans. Sorry, sorry, mate. Um, you, you'd hope for at least at least 10,000 Stoke fans. I mean, hopefully more, to be honest, but bare minimum 10,000 Stoke fans. So you're talking 14,000, 15,000. Um, I would like to see 20,000 in total. So 15,000 Stokies, um, especially when it's kid for a quid. I mean, what what better excuse to, to take the kid along? And uh, I'm, I'm going to be taking Josh with me as well. So. I'm not the only one. We we should have a decent crowd for this, especially after a, a, a nice thrashing of Reading, mate. Everyone should be feeling a bit more confident. And it's a Sunday. Who does anything on a Sunday? So, yeah, I think it'll be a good crowd, mate. Simon, what do you reckon? Do you reckon Mike's about right there with about 14,000, 15,000? Or maybe is that a bit optimistic? Oh, I think I think that's about right, yeah. I, I think it would be lovely to think we could get another four or 5,000 Stokies in there, but I... I... I don't see that right now. Um, it's not that attractive a game, unfortunately. Um, I, I'm just a, I love the FA Cup. I think it's wonderful. Um, it delivers every season for me. Um, and this is a game that I'm, I'm actually really excited about because I think it gives us a great opportunity. But I also know that they're a very uh, tricky opponent, uh, certainly banana skin like. Um, I'm old enough to remember the, the words Blythe Spartans which still sends shivers down my spine. Uh, <laughs> Nuneaton, Burnley, you name it, uh, been through it all. Let's hope this isn't another one. Um, I remember against Tamworth. Decent game, that's for sure. They're, the Stevenage are, are a, a, a good team. They'll give us a, a tough match, but we've obviously we've got a little bit of a role if we can see that continue and carry that into the league games afterwards. And actually, it fills me with some positivity for the rest of the season. And I have been really struggling for positivity this season. Yeah, there hasn't been a great deal to go around, has there? <laughs> um, uh, just to um, just to say my team, I've got Bonham in goal, um, Taylor, Jagielka, Fox, uh, Sterling, I'm going to give him a start at right wing back, Thompson and Lorraine in the middle, Tymon, then Smallbone with Brown and Gale up front. Um now it's funny because we've got nine subs, and looking through the squad, there ain't going to be many players not not playing. <laughs> if you discount Harry Suter, um, Harry Suter and Sam Lucas who were injured, uh, then obviously Nick Powell as well, then that really doesn't leave many players. I mean, I've got Campbell fielding, right? Phillips, obviously, he may not be here then. Uh, Tesgale, Baker, Wilmot, Kilkenny. Macari and Jack Griffiths on the bench, which means that the only fit player who isn't on my bench is Aidan Flint, who is another one who may not be here by the weekend. So we we may we may see some um, new names on the bench if some under twenty threes, under eighteens might be getting some call ups uh, for for Sunday's game, aren't they? Which is exactly what 
the FA Cup and you know League Cup or whatever it is, um, you know, every season. The, the, these are these are the cup ties, aren't they, to try those types of players out, mate? So, uh, yeah, mate, it'd be it'd be good to see. Um, I don't know how many will actually get on the pitch, but yeah, we'll we'll see some new faces. Yeah, for me, I think how many get on the pitch might depend on the game situation. Now, if we're, if we're a couple clear with 10 minutes to go, he might throw a few on. You never know. It's always lovely to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, I think it's it's important that we work hard. Like I say, I mean, we mentioned like, how Steve Evans sets his teams up. I think we need to work hard, match their work rate. I think the first goal is massive. If we get the first goal and just build from there, and I think what we need to remember as well is remember what we did for Hartlepool in the last round. I mean, they, I know they're the other end of League Two, but if we can get the delivery coming in, if Timon can put balls in like he did against Hartlepool and like he did against Reading last week for that Brown goal, there's a reason why Hartlepool scored two own goals, and that's because defenders at that level were not used to dealing with crosses of that quality. And they just he just got anything on it and ended up turning it into his own net, didn't they? And that could be the case again. I think if we concentrate on getting what we are good at, which is getting balls in from wide areas getting great cutters timing and still can get some good deliveries in, then that could, you know, that's going to be key for me, I think. Would you say that's a, where you would you would launch your attacks from, Simon? Yeah, I, th- I think um, our, ironically, given that we don't really have wingers, our wing threat is quite reasonable. Um, normally when we're playing wing backs, of course, um, which is where I think we get the best out of Josh Timon. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. I think with that, if Baker doesn't play, then that will leave us with less of a, a, a midfield passing threat. So actually, if it's going to get to Smallbone to create, it's going to come in off the wings anyway. Um, so that gives us an inside option versus um, putting the ball into the box. Um, but if it is Thompson and not Baker, then that that's a more it, it gives us a more solid. Uh, centre uh, rather than a creative one. Um, so we are more likely to go down the wings, yeah. Well, so what's your prediction? I'm going to go for a 3-1 win and goals for Gail, Tymon and then Tezgal coming off the bench to get his first Stoke goal, just because I'm an old romantic like that. <laughs> um, Simon, what's your prediction? I'm going to go 2-1 and we're going to score the winner with about five to go and the place is going to go crazy. Uh, Dwight Gale is going to score one with his actual foot and Tyrese will belt one into the top corner to win it. Very nice. And Mike, what's your prediction? I'm going with the fours again, mate. 4-1 uh, to, to Stoke. Dwight Gale's going to get a brace. Josh Tymon's going to come with an absolute pile driver from the wing. Um, and Tyrese is just going to finish us off nicely. Brilliant. So that's our predictions. Now let's hear from the man, the myth, the legend, Gray McGarry. Hi there, you Potters predictors. This is Graham McGarry, and it feels a lot, lot better, doesn't it, after last weekend's 4-0 win over Reading. And four different scorers. It's been a long time since that's happened if you've been following Stoke City. But, of course, it was a win, and it was a much-needed win. And now you take a break from the uh, gruelling championship uh, league. So you've got to keep getting those points on the board to steer clear of those relegation places. But FA Cup football comes to the bet 365 on Sunday, of course, and Stoke City take on an informed League Two side in Stevenage, full of confidence themselves after an excellent victory over Leighton Orient in their last league fixture last Saturday afternoon. 
Now all eyes will be on the dugout. Not Alex Neal's dugout, I don't think, but that one of the away visitors. Steve Evans, Mr Steve Evans, as he likes to be called, will be in there, a right colourful character who will definitely have his side fired up. But Alex Neal won't be wanting to be on the end of a banana skin and he's got to send out a strong side and this side have got to be professional in their application and attitude to move into round five of the FA Cup. Well, they should be doing it, shouldn't they? Surely. Stoke City to be confident from last week's result and hopefully a pretty comfortable victory. Stoke City 3, Stevenage 1. Cheers, Graham. And one more to go. So we've been sleuthing around. Mike, you you set the uh, feelers out for this one actually this week, didn't you? There was your workings um, getting a Stevenage uh, uh, podcast on board. So let's hear what they've got to say about the game. Cheers for that. Thank you very much. So, yeah, they're looking forward to it. Um, like I said, it's a big game for them. So, yeah, it should um, 
let's hope that it's, we're not the giant killing. Now, there's one final thing. One person I ever mentioned is the referee um, on Saturday series. The referee, by the way, is David Webb. So if you remember that name, he has refed us three times this season, uh, all draws. So the 1-1 draw at home to Swansea, the 1-1 draw away at Burnley, and the 2-2 draw away at Rotherham. Um, so, yeah, he's overall, he has put, he has given us, he drafts us nine times, sorry, three wins, five draws, and just the one defeat when he's refted. So, it's that good. However, he did ref the 3 3 draw between Sheffield United and Blackpool earlier this season, where he showed seven yellows and four red cards. Mm. Well, I'll keep saying, mate, we haven't been sent off this season. Would you yeah, one, aren't we? <laughs> we? We don't want any of that business. We don't want four reds. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, if you take out that 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 mental game that it sounds like, the other twenty two games he's ref this season, he showed seventy yellows and just the one red, giving four penalties. So fair enough. Uh, he's never ref Stevenage in his career, and uh, in his in his refereeing career, he has forty point two percent of his matches have ended up with home wins. However, this season that drops to just 34.8%. So more home wins than away. But rather, I'll have to have a look and see what the actual, whether that's higher or lower than than standard games, how many standard games end up in home wins, won't we? I think it is around. uh, I saw something recently about the, well, maybe that was just top flight because it was the 50,000th top flight game was the uh, Liverpool-Chelsea game on... Saturday, and there was some stat around that. It's about 40, 30, 30 in terms of home win, draw, away wins, but that was only top flight. Oh, so, so, so he's not even a home, he's a bang level, calls it how, he, how every game ends. <laughs> so, yeah. Bro, so what we'll end up now, we've got a little quiz for you, and it's all about Stoke and the FA Cup. So are you both ready? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> So, question number one. Stoke reached the fifth round last season, courtesy of two 2-0 home wins versus lower league opposition. Who were the two opponents? God, I blotted last season from my mind. Uh... Just repeat that one more time, sorry. We'll be done, sorry. So, so we reached the fifth round last season, yep. courtesy of two 2-0 home wins against lower league opposition. Mm. I'll give you a clue and say that one of them was then lower league, may not be now. So who were the two opponents in round three and four that we beat last year? Ooh. We beat Wigan. Wigan? Wigan, yeah, Wigan are the one that were lower league, but obviously now in the same division as us. They were round four, and there was a team who've actually already been mentioned on this podcast, actually, not too long ago. Oh, is it? No, it's not Hartlepool, is it? No, not Hartlepool. No, 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 not Hartlepool. No, I think that was a year, a couple of years before now. Um, Simon mentioned him when he was talking about um, talking about Stevenage and last weekend. Oh, Orient. Oh, Lake Orient. Lake Orient. Correct. So, question number two. Who were the last lower league side to knock Stoke out of the FA Cup? Blimey, that's a long list, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, I always get mixed up with this and then the League Cup, I do. Was it Hartlepool, 2009? Must have been one since. Unfortunately, there's been a few since. Mark Hughes <laughs> remembers one, one particular one. Oh, Coventry. Coventry. 
Uh, but oh, there, there has actually been another one since then. Crikey, was it on penalties? No. No. It was in a um, replay. So the season after, we drew with Shrewsbury away, and then we, despite Tyrese Campbell scoring a brace, we still lost uh, yeah. at home. That was the game when Nathan Jones had been appointed but didn't take charge, wasn't it? Yeah, because there was a, the away tie was again sort of twelve months on from Hughes being like leaving after an away tie in the FA Cup it was a, one of Rowett's final matches. One two, where the fans were a bit. Your That's football right. is not very good, Gary. <laughs> he was singing. <laughs> Gary Rowett, your football is barely. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Question number three. Stoke's last round four defeat was in the 2015-16 season. Can you remember to who? It was a 1-0 away to another Premier League side at the time. It's a tough one, this is. I've got it's Palace in my mind, but I'm not. Go on, say it. Oh, Crystal Palace? Yeah, Crystal Palace. Okay. <laughs> played them three times in the last 10 years in the FA Cup. Yeah. Yeah, uh, question Yeah, question number four. Stoke progressed to the fifth round in 2015 with a 4-0 win versus Rochdale. Why is that game remembered? Is that the day that Bojan um, did himself in? It is indeed. Bojan did his ACL in that game. Tragic day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. Don't know why I included that question. It just depressed me. <laughs> question number five. <laughs> um, so, on our run to the 2011 FA Cup final, we beat Wolves 1 0 in round four. Which goalkeeper saved a penalty in that match? Big Tommy Thompson. Tommy. It was indeed. Question number six is who scored the only goal of that game? Is that Houthi? Heggy. It was Robert Tooth. Oh, yeah. Uh, Question number seven. The season prior to that, we beat Arsenal 3-1 in a televised (laughs) fourth-round game. Ricardo Fuller... Sorry? Stanley Sadibi. So, well, hold that thought. (laughs) Question seven. Is Ricardo Fuller open the scoring after how many seconds? Oh, that was a throw-in. It was. It's 30 seconds. 27. 67. Oh, damn it. So it was, I think, to be fair, he was off a long throw and it took about 45 seconds to set up. Didn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, question number eight. Fuller got a second goal in that game, but who's 40-yard run and cross? Mama D. Sadibi. Uh, question number nine. After losing 3-0 away at Fulham in the, in the fourth round in 2007... Which Fulham defender came back came back with Stoke on the coach to sign on loan? Oh, Fulham defender. He came back for a second loan spell. And I think he ended up playing majority of his career at Peterborough after he left Stoke. Oh, Gabriel Zaquani. Yes. Oh, yeah. And question number 10, and I know that Simon knows the answer to this because he's already said, in 1978, which non-league side KO'd Stoke in round four of the FA Cup? I'm shaking. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Blythe Spartans. Ah, That could be very well there. It started off a negative, and then we got some 
positive results towards the middle and then they ended up on Blythe Spartans just to <laughs> just to end the podcast with a bit of reality and <laughs> what could happen. 100%. And um, I mean, I'm, you might be asking this, but Simon, what, what are you up to on the whole publication standpoint at the minute, mate? Well, I don't know if you saw the announcement on uh, Twitter a few days ago, but uh, I can exclusively reveal, if you haven't already seen it, uh, that I am currently working with uh, Pottery's football legend John Rudge on his autobiography, which will be out in October this year. Um, so, yes, he may have done something at Port Vale, but he was a director of football at Stoke for a very long time, 14 years, in fact, um, and signed a lot of the players that we've talked about, Mama Sidibe, Ricardo Fuller, um, who was integral in their signings. And he talks a lot about that uh, in the book, as well as some stuff about Vale. <laughs> I think we are going to um, sit down and have a chat about that, aren't we, as well, Simon? Um, so the will about your book and John Rudge and everything. So um, yeah, absolutely. Keep your keep your ears peeled for that podcast landing as well, folks. And maybe um, we can bribe uh, Simon with a few oat cakes to get John Rudge to come on with him. I'm no sure, he absolutely. There and, and there's there's also another um, podcast which. Is is ready ready to be done, isn't it? Which uh, will be done in in shortly. We'll be hearing your dulcet tones very frequently re- in the uh, coming weeks. I imagine on this podcast side. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, the current publication that's out, uh, people may know, is the autobiography of Eric Skills, which I collaborated with him on. That was published um, just before Christmas, um, and uh, we'll be getting Eric on on this podcast very shortly. Yes, it's all, all set to go. Um, so yes, we sh- you, as soon as it's done, you shall know about it. If you keep your, like I say, keep your eyes on the uh, on your podcast feeds, and it'll no doubt land. Uh, looking forward, I'm looking forward to do that. I mean, 579 games. I mean, I mean, how did you cram all that into one book? <laughs> it wasn't easy, actually. Um, but uh, you know, he he played through some of the greatest eras of the club as well. So. It's not only just the volume, it's what on earth was going on at the time. It's absolutely incredible. Wow. Well, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to uh, to sitting down and talking to him because I imagine, like I say, I don't know I'm going to cram it into, cram all that into an hour's podcast, let alone, like I say, a, a book and that. So, yeah, like really looking forward to that. And obviously, yeah, the John Rudge one as well. I mean, I'd say if we can get to John on as well, it'd be even better. It'd be fantastic. So, Yes, well, uh, keep up the great stories. work. It'll be a hoot. Yes, fantastic. I'm sure he's got a lot of stories to talk about, Pulis <laughs> and Kermeni. Oh, my God. Here I we can get to the, repeat, but not get to the bottom of the whole Johan Boskamp. <laughs> uh, you could fill an hour on Boskamp, honestly. In fact, you could fill three hours on Boskamp. It's just astonishing. I did ask because we've actually, obviously, we're always looking at well, you know, who guests and stuff we can get on and and um, I was just speaking to you, Mark, once I was like, I imagine Boss Camp would be the perfect sort of personality to do a podcast with because he's quite sort of open into, he's not a closed book as such, he's, <laughs> he's open, he's quite loud and brash and stuff. And I thought, yeah, if you could, and he's doing um, punditry work, isn't he still? Uh, he is. I think you need to believe that, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's right. 
Lovely. Well, mate, thank you for for running the ship. Um, as always, whenever we run ships, we have a very long pad. Uh, I, I must. I, I keep quite a tight rein on things. Either you you just you just let things go. You do so. Uh, I, do, I just keep talking. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully uh, everyone's still awake. But no, Simon, mate, thanks again for joining us. Again, we're going to be speaking to you a hell of a lot more uh, over the coming weeks. Um, yeah, let's hope for a win versus Stevenage. And then who, who, who do we want to uh, actually away in the next one? Very quickly, who do you want to get in the fifth round? Uh, the winner of Man City Arsenal, I would love. <laughs> Stoke Arsenal. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. At home. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, we can invite Mr. Wenger up for a special guest for old time's sake. <laughs> Did you see the other week he, when he was at Arsenal? That would be the first time he'd gone back to Arsenal since he left. Yes, I did see that. Yeah, that's amazing, really, isn't it? When you consider what a, you know, how he was there for such a long period of time. Um, yeah, I fancy yeah, Arsenal away because I say the, the prices they charge on tickets, we'd, we'd make a fortune, wouldn't we? <laughs> Um, but yes, three, here we go. We are going to be in that fifth round draw. We're gonna. We aren't going to be giant killing. We're going to learn from uh, how we beat Hartlepool. Do it again. Up the Potters. Go on, Stu. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport, powered by fans.